Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Linda Elder will join us to discuss critical thinking. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, critical thinking is the art of analyzing and evaluating thinking with a view to improving it. Critical thinking is self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrective thinking. But despite the importance of critical thinking, few of us may be able to employ it in our daily lives. Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Linda Elder. Dr. Elder is an educational psychologist who is the president and fellow of the Foundation for Critical Thinking and the executive director of the Center for Critical Thinking. Co-author of four books, including new releases, 30 Days to Better Thinking and Better Living Through Critical Thinking, Critical Thinking, Taking Tools for Taking Charge of Your Learning and Your Life, and Critical Thinking, Tools for Taking Charge of Your Professional and Personal Life. She joins us today to discuss this very important issue. And uh, Dr. Elder, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. I'm pleased to be here. Uh, Certainly a pleasure. Certainly a a very fascinating topic, critical thinking, one I think that all of us are aware of is important in terms of our uh, daily lives. But just exactly how would you define critical thinking? Well, you opened up with really uh, some definitions that we often begin with, and we can go further. So let me kind of reiterate a a little bit. One thing that you said is critical thinking is the art of analyzing thinking to assess thinking in order to improve thinking. And there are many directions that we can go in from there in terms of exploring the concept. But the one way to think about critical thinking is that it, it is a disciplined way of living in which one takes seriously the problematics in one's thinking, the barriers to one's development. One takes seriously the the workings of one's own mind, and this would entail, again, analyzing thinking, taking it apart, looking at our purpose, the questions we're asking, the information we're using, the assumptions we're beginning with, the concepts that are driving our thinking, our point of view, and these we call the elements of reasoning, and there are a few others, but the basic ideas, these elements are embedded in our thinking, and if we understand this, then we can use these concepts and others in critical thinking to enter our thinking and, again, assess it for quality and improve it where it needs to be improved. So is it the case that many of us might think that we are critical thinkers, but in fact uh, really are not sort of trained in the specifics on how to actually go about integrating critical thinking in our lives? Yes. Well, there's a sense in which it's, it's sort of interesting. There's a sense in which we are all critical thinkers in that to some extent we think pretty well in in a particular domain of our life, so you may be pretty good at parenting, so you may be better at thinking about parenting than lots of other people that you know, uh, but then you you may be worse than other people, but think that you're better than them uh, at any given in any given domain of thought. So we do think with some skill in some areas of our life, 
but most of us, let's say the vast, vast majority, uh, have very little command of what is explicitly happening in their thinking and tools for assessing the thinking that is there. So, for example, again, if I'm good at parenting, let's say I may be a B-level parent, and that's that may be good enough. But if I'd like to notch up to, let's say, A-level parent, then I need definitive tools for doing this. And here's where critical thinking comes into play. So all of us think critically to some extent, but all of us need to improve, and most of us need to improve a lot. Now, many of us think, unfortunately, many of us think that our thinking that our thinking is the critical thinking that's being done <laughs> and in any given situation. And in other words, we're the ones that are thinking critically while it is the others who really are not thinking critically. So uh, we're living in a time now where, it, for example, the term critical thinking is more often used today than ever before, probably in human societies. And our foundation has made a significant contribution to that because we've introduced the concept to all of the colleges and universities in this country over many years. But though the term critical thinking is gaining far more use in human societies, it still lacks the currency that we need it to have for us to be able to use it to improve our thinking. So in other words, most people think something like this. If everyone just thought like me, the world would be a lot better place. And the problem is that if everyone is thinking that way, or roughly everyone is, then how are we to make sense of this? So this is connected to the fact that each of us thinks within our viewpoint, and we're often trapped in our viewpoint, we're often thinking egocentrically, and I can elaborate that, but the, the idea is that whatever I think my thinking is, is, I think is perfectly fine, and it's the other people, it's you, that's <laughs> the problem. So really, how do we break out of the egocentric framework into something that really is critical? And what, what really do you think defines critical thinking? Well, we can talk about defining critical thinking and unpacking a little bit more in terms of the concept, and I'll do that. And then we also need to talk about the barriers, which I'm just getting into. So let me talk a little bit more about the barriers and then move to the second piece, which is how do we, how do we intervene and what do we, how, what do we do about these problems? So there are two very powerful forces in human thought and in human life, and those we might put under the rough umbrellas of egocentric and sociocentric thinking. So egocentric thinking roughly, and again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but egocentric thinking would be thinking within my narrow viewpoint in order to serve my selfish interests. Group think or sociocentric thinking is, is in essence the, par the conceptual parallel. So it's thinking within the logic of the group and thinking that our group's ways are the right ways. My group is the best group. My country is the best country. My school is the best school. My football team is the best football team. So you see this way of thinking rampant in human societies all over the world, the natural part of the way that we operate as humans. And yet we don't have much understanding of these these ideas and the, and the role they're playing in our thinking. And so we're not, in essence, examining our own thinking very well. So in other words, one of the things that you would need to do, I think, to really develop as a critical thinker is to take your egocentricity seriously and, and, and start learning how to face it down. 
and to say, no, we are not going to just pursue our selfish interests. We're not going to just pursue what is in the interest of, of our company when it may be causing harm to lots of people through the pollution, for example, that we're, that we're letting out into the planet. I mean, that would just be one example. So, we have to think beyond our narrow scope of what is in it for me and what is in it for my country or my group, and we've got to ask what is what is reasonable in these in this set of circumstances, and what in the long run is going to serve the, the interests of all, so that we have a world in which people are free, in which they are emancipated, in which people are sharing the wealth more equitably than they are at present. So critical thing asks us to go against this part of our nature and to to say no, we're not going to I'm not going to allow within myself these forces to run me and to make decisions for me. So I need to intervene in these these ways of thinking. I need to catch myself being selfish and say, no, you don't need more for you right now. You need to think about what is best for everyone right now. So we have to do this kind of intervention, and we have to do this intervention every day, not just once a month or once every, when we're in, you know, school for one semester. No, it's every day that these forces must be fought against. So we need tools for this process, and this is one of the things that we focus on in our work at the Foundation for Critical Thinking is developing is, is developing these intervention tools, intervention into the mind tools. <laughs> for instance, I was mentioning the elements of thought, and let me just go through them quickly again. So whenever you reason, which you are doing consistently throughout your day, you're using eight parts. You're thinking through eight parts. They're there whether you know this or not. You have a purpose, you're asking questions, and you're pursuing the answer to those questions. You are using information to answer those questions. You're making interpretations along the way and inferences along the way based on the information. You begin with a whole host of assumptions or beliefs that you're taking for granted going into the reasoning process. You are conceptualizing the situation in a certain way. You've got concepts and theories and principles that you're using in your thinking. This is happening automatically. You don't have to make yourself do this. You don't learn this. This is happening already. And then you're thinking from some point of view that's informed by your concepts and your assumptions. Finally, there are implications of your reasoning. You don't just think. You often act upon your thinking, for example. That would be one form of implication. So these eight parts are present. For instance, right now they're present in this conversation. So I have a purpose. I'm asking questions. I'm pursuing answers to those. You have a purpose. You're asking questions, and, and et cetera. And so hopefully our thinking is coming together in this conversation because we're, we, have, we're, you know, we have the same purpose. We have roughly the same questions. Sometimes you may have an interview with someone where you're, you're focusing, you're, 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 let's say, acting or thinking at cross purposes. So there are going to be problems if that's occurring. And in our marriages, often we, we're, we're, we're not communicating because we have different purposes. And we're not even asking ourselves, well, what is my purpose right now? What am I really trying to accomplish? Do I want to win this argument or do I want to have a happy, healthy relationship? So the elements of reasoning, purpose question, inferences, implications, concepts, point of view, assumptions, information, these eight parts are present in our reasoning whenever we reason. And we're doing that many, many times throughout the day. So the argument is if you 
know this, if you know these parts are present in your reasoning, then you can intervene in them. When you've done that, when you've taken your thinking apart, then you need to analyze, you need to assess your thinking using some reasonable standards. So you wouldn't want to say, well, here's my purpose, but now that I've got my purpose and figured that out, I don't know really how to assess it. I'll just kind of look at it and go, well, here's my purpose. No. Here are some intellectual standards that people have used for as long as we've been developing language, probably, to assess thinking. Clarity, accuracy, relevance, breadth. Depth, logicalness, significance, fairness. These are some of the main standards that we focus on in, uh, in teaching people critical thinking. So you want to know what your purpose is, so you want to be clear about your purpose. You want to make sure your purpose is justifiable in context, that so there's another standard, justifiability. Uh, we want to be clear about our questions at issue. We want sometimes we need to have a lot of precision in that question to make sure our thinking is doing the work that it needs to do for us. We look at our assumptions. We ask again, are they justifiable? in context or do we need to rework them given the evidence? So these are all what I would call intellectual moves that critical thinkers make to improve their thinking. And finally, what we're really after as as human beings living on the planet is when we're thinking this way is that we want to embody intellectual virtues like intellectual humility, fair-mindedness, intellectual empathy, intellectual integrity, intellectual courage, intellectual autonomy. These are characteristics that we who are taking our thinking seriously in this way are trying to embody on a daily basis and we recognize the challenge but at least we have some tools for this process. So there are certainly several elements to all the elements of thought that go into it. Among those elements of thoughts, where do you think the problems arise for most people? Is it defining the purposes or the assumptions that they have or concepts, or is it just sort of a combination of all of those and really trying to narrow down each of those features when you're dealing with it, with an issue? Well, whenever you have one of the elements, you always have the other seven because they work in a dynamic process, as you can see just in my description, right? Therefore, if there is a problem with one, there will likely be some problems with the other. But what I would say is that, as you see, when I, work, when I work through the eight elements, the tools of critical thinking are really intuitive. That is, nobody would say, no, you don't really need to focus on your purpose in thinking. Why would you need to clarify thinking? Oh, we, we don't care if thinking is accurate. <laughs> no, these are so intuitive to the mind that they're almost difficult to take seriously. So if you took any of the elements of reasoning and took any one of them seriously, then you would, by implication, be taking the other seriously. So if you really thought about the implications of the things that you're doing and you, and you said, okay, what I'm going to do this week is I'm not going to focus on any of the other critical thinking theory because it's all, there's a lot here. So I'm just going to start with implications. So every time I'm in a conversation with someone, I'm going to think, now, what is, what is she implying, maybe? Or what does that statement tell me? Or if we go in this direction that we're talking about going in in this meeting, where will our thinking lead us? In other words, what are the implications of this thinking? And so you play around with this, but you take it seriously. And, and so you are taking this one idea, and you're working it, and you're working it, and you're working it. And when you do that, you're also going to be illuminating purposes. You're, you're going to begin to see the key questions. Now, it's not going to be, you know, that simple, but you begin to get the idea. And you mentioned that for each of these, you have to compare it to some kind of standard, really. Well, you see, yes, intellect, universal intellectual standards 
are what we advocate the explicit use of. Now, you and I and everyone else uses these to some extent when we're not thinking explicitly, critically, um, because if you think about when you go through the day, you clarify people's thinking, right? You will sometimes ask questions of clarification. But maybe you'll clarify their thinking more now because I've mentioned the word clarity. And, I'll, and maybe now you'll be thinking, wow, am I really clear about what this person is saying? I'm realizing that I've actually been violating the standard of clarity in my own thinking a lot because I haven't focused on it explicitly. But And this is also relevant to teaching and learning because often, as you know, we will have students working together in groups. And this is this is good. We have we, we're moving. You know, we move away a little bit from the the uh, lecture format, which we know doesn't work uh, to help students internalize thinking very much, and so we move to a group-centered process. But what is often so we have students get together in groups and discuss an issue, and maybe they've worked on they've had a question, and you know they have an assignment, and they're trying to figure out the answer to the question. So that's a good starting place. But then how are they going to decide what to accept in their discussion and what to reject that someone says? And here is where we must have the intellectual standards because there are no other standards that intellectuals use to determine what to accept and reject. So in other words, if somebody says, for example, uh, that we're going to use you know, this information in solving this problem, but this information comes just from the tobacco industry, then I'm going to question the information. I'm going to question the accuracy of the information. So I'm going to apply the standard of accuracy. And so we're going to apply, again, the standards of the universal intellectual standards. For example, here are a few, again, clarity, accuracy, relevance, so relevance, uh, going in a little deeper, often people violate the standard of relevance. And a great place to see this it, it, paradigmatically is in a meeting in which somebody raises a question or issue, and there's a little bit of discussion about that, and then somebody raises a different one. But people don't really notice what happened. And before you know it, they're on to the second issue. But nobody says, wait a minute, how is that relevant to the question on the floor? Oh, not relevant, but it's a good question. It's significant. Maybe it's more significant than the one we're focused on now. So we're going to say significant trumps relevance right now. <laughs> but if we don't have these standards, then we're just kind of floating around and we're, you know, some people are thinking a little bit better than other people, but we, we can't make these definitive moves. So when we can make them, then we ha there is so much more power in, in our discussions, and we have a reasonable way of figuring out what to do in a given situation. You also mentioned that part of this is some sort of value that you're trying to embody in, in your decision-making or your thinking. And in a sense, this seems to lie outside of these, these eight elements. What if the values that people are trying to pursue are, are different or not agreed upon to, uh, at the start? Well, it, you, intellectual virtues, the characteristics that I said that fair-minded critical thinkers, I didn't say fair-minded critical thinkers are embodied, are, are trying to embody these, but that's what I meant to say. So people who want to think at the highest level of skill that they possibly can, while also taking into account the rights and needs of others, are pursuing a path of fair-minded critical thinking. And Richard Paul, who's our founder, 
uh, many years ago distinguished between what he called strong sense critical thinking and weak sense critical thinking. Strong sense critical thinking is, in essence, fair-minded critical thinking, while weak sense critical thinking is, in essence, unethical critical thinking. Critical thinking or thinking well to serve your selfish interests without regard to the rights and needs of other, other people, other sentient creatures, uh, the planet as well, because that has implications for creatures. So, um, so when people are thinking in a weak sense way, but thinking critically, then they are able to gain power at, through often through money, and then they're they're making decisions based on what is in their vested interest, not in the interest of you know the greater society, and. We have an ethical obligation to be concerned about others in our society because we can. We can help make the world a better place. So if we say, well, why should you make the better world a better place, then I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure where to go from there because it seems to me that persons who are, are actually trying to, to, to follow a path of self-fulfillment and self-actualization and self-command will, would want to be embodying these intellectual virtues. Again, here are some of them, intellectual empathy, intellectual humility, intellectual integrity, and there are others. We can, we can take any one of these and show why reasonable persons would embrace these just by describing them. So, for example, intellectual Empathy, when we embody intellectual empathy, which we always, by the way, do imperfectly, you, you could never be, you would never say of a person, well, th this person embodies all the intellectual virtues all the time. It's impossible to do that because we're always going to have these egocentric and sociocentric forces pulling us away from this ideal that we're reaching toward. But so we, we take intellectual uh, empathy, for instance. This virtue uh, entails entering viewpoints in good faith in order to understand them and in order to be moved by them if the reasoning is better than one's own reasoning. And when you embody this intellectual virtue, you live in the world in a very different way from the average person because you are consistently throwing your mind into the mind of another person to just understand it. And in the way that really you're doing right now with me, you're just trying to understand my thinking. Now, later we could do a little test in which I said, now, I would like for you to speak within my voice as if you were me, and you would say, I'm Linda Elder, and I think this. And when you did that, when you do that, you are practicing, I would say, practicing intellectual empathy. And you're trying to articulate my viewpoint in such a way that I would say it's accurate if I were standing there next to you. That's the standard that we reach toward when we are practicing for, let's say, this virtue. And imagine a world in which all humans were learning from a very young age intellectual empathy. And this, imagine a society in which this virtue was highly valued. If, if you could imagine such a world, and if we could create such a world, it would be very different from the one that we have now, right? Because there would be no torture. There would be very little pain inflicted on other people. Because when you, when you tortured someone, you would feel the, the, you would feel the suffering yourself.
not literally, but you would be throwing your mind into that person's mind while you were doing it. So, yes, the world would be very different if we embodied this virtue. And that's just one. Another was intellectual autonomy. I mean, how many people can really and truly stand alone against the crowd and their beliefs? And that means that I can be in a room with, or a stadium with 10,000 people, and I may be the only one in that whole stadium thinking the way that I think, or maybe even a, lot, lot, a much larger number, but that's good enough to, for the, you know, to kind of get the visual image. So I am the only one that thinks this way. But I think this way based on good reasoning in my example, and and I think this way I've come to this view using intellectual standards. So I can't just give this view up because everyone else disagrees with it. I have to give it up because the reasoning persuades me to give it up, some better reasoning. And that shows that I'm embodying confidence in reason, which is another intellectual virtue. We are running slightly out of time, though, but I'm curious to maybe get some approaching learning how to become better critical thinkers. And Yes. Well, let me suggest, I was going to mention this a, a few minutes ago, let me suggest that people visit our website, criticalthinking.org. We have many resources that are free there. We have a, a library that's quite extensive, so start there. But the second thing is if you want to try some of these strategies like focusing on implications for a week or focusing on clarity for a day or for a week, then I suggest that you look at our new release, which is 30 Days to Better Thinking and Better Living Through Critical Thinking. You can get it on our website. Um, and this book introduces ideas with strategies that you can use right away. You can take one idea per day and then come back and do one idea per week. That's been suggested in our in our preface. So that would be what I would recommend. And we hope to be offering pods soon so that people can do uh, some book studies together on our website. So if anyone wants to join our community, our memberships are free, and they can do that online at our website, criticalthinking.org. All right, well, our guest today was uh, Dr. Linda Elder. She was, again, president and fellow of the Foundation for Critical Thinking and executive director of the Center for Critical Thinking. And uh, Dr. Elder, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on rocking.